At Spring Creek Flooring, our people make the difference. We work harder, smarter, and put more of ourselves into each product we manufacture. Solid values coupled with decades of experience are clearly reflected in the quality of our products. Contractors and installers choose Spring Creek because they are amazed by our clean and straight fit. And Spring Creek uses Appalachian lumber to guarantee consistent color. Our lumber is hand-selected to ensure grade quality, and our quality control procedures closely monitor the kiln-drying process. We make it easy to do business with us. From knowledgeable staff to quick and accurate order turnaround, we have the most efficient processes to help supply your needs. From the forest floor to your door, at Spring Creek Flooring, our people do make the difference. Welcome to the Real Answers Podcast. I'm Michael Martin, CEO of the National Wood Flooring Association. Joining me as always is my co-host, Chris Zizza of CNR Flooring in New England and past chairman of the NWFA. Chris, how are you today? I'm doing great, man. Life's easy. Let's keep moving forward. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Chris. Today, we have a special guest joining us from Charlotte. Please meet Bill Smith, Vice President of Business Development and Sales at CV International. CV International is a logistics specialist company for cargo coming and going around the world. Bill, thank you for being with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Michael. And and also, uh, Chris, it's good to be here. Thank you for the invitation. So Bill recently wrote a blog for Hardwood Floors Magazine about the challenges that the pandemic has created in moving things around the world. It's really just amazing how much everything's been impacted, you know, every industry by shipping right now. So in your article, Bill, you talk about the fact that we're going through uh, what you refer to as a bullwhip. Can you tell us what you mean by that? Well, yes. I mean, uh, it, it, it's, it's really been a challenge. The pandemic has created some, some obvious challenges in the ocean freight world. And, and th- these have been many years in the making, actually. I mean, uh, that we've, we've gone through a period uh, the last 10 years where there's been a lot of consolidation in the ocean shipping world. And uh, a lot of the weaker flair- players have, have fallen off or, or merged into others. And, you know, it, it's honestly been like a 10 years buyer's market. And, and now the tables have turned somewhat. And, uh, and so we're all getting used to that as shippers uh, on how, how to respond in this new environment. So. Yeah, well, I can tell you from experience, the swear word in shipping is surcharge. Yes, exactly. And and that, yeah, that used to be a somewhat predictable thing where uh, it might be a peak season surcharge, which was understandable uh, in this late summer and fall leading up to, uh, of course, the holiday season and, and the influx of goods that would come with that. But now it just seems like a continuous peak season, you know. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> and plenty of surcharges out there, unfortunately. So, I'm uh, I'm hoping we learn a little bit today, and maybe your years in is going to help us with some predictability on is this going to be an ongoing thing? I'm I'm being told that surcharges are going to be short term, um, but here's the thing: everybody's in the same. Am I right when I say? Everybody is in the same bowl of soup here. I mean, it's boat, not just Chris. one or two They're in the same boat. <laughs> pun intended, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pun intended. It's right. We're all in the same boat, meaning that all all freight is experiencing the, this phenomenon. And it's, at least it's a phenomenon to me. It's probably not to you being the logistics specialist. No, but this this year is truly unique. Um, there hasn't been one like it in my 25 year career. Um, but like I've been, uh, like I mentioned before, it has has been a, a buyer's market for a long time. But uh, you know, I, I think we will get back to your original point, Chris, of, of some uh, predictability. I think we are going to stabilize it, it later this year, but we're still suffering from that that bullwhip effect that I mentioned uh, in, in my recent blog, where you know uh, after the economy went off the cliff. 
Q2, Q3 of last year, and and you know so many companies for good reason uh, pulled back orders. There were of course some pandemic benefiting type businesses that uh, that thawed out rather quickly and started shipping in, in a big manner, much more than expected, and they were trying to overcompensate really for for that depletion of inventory and and really needing to replenish goods and to meet heightened consumer demands. I mean, if you're operating in the in the home goods space, uh, I, I would I would think the flooring's part of that, uh, with demand being up. Furniture certainly was. Uh, anything related to home improvement, those orders spiked Q3 and Q4, and um, and those type goods they take up a lot of volume. They use a lot of containers. The recovery, at least in shipping, thanks to those pandemic benefiting type businesses, um, it, it started to recover in a big way late last year, and uh, and we're. Still in the midst of that, we're still in a, in a cycle where companies are trying to get their their uh, order books balanced. Trying, you know, if they only had product to sell, they could sell more of it, and and so that rush for capacity really created a lot of headaches. And we're we're working that through the system now. I mean, everywhere around the country, ports are congested month over month. You know, are, are record breaking now. Each month seems to you know break a pre- previous year over year record, and. Uh, and so we're still working that through the system, but there is hope on the horizon. I think uh, later this year, we're going to get back to some normalcy um, in terms of the ability to get space and to keep cargo moving with some predictability. You know, so. Bill, is the are the problems that are they're happening now, are they at the port or are they on the water or is it a combination of both? I mean, I've heard stories about, you know, on the West Coast, you know, coming into Los Angeles, they're, they're pushing stuff up the coast, which doesn't necessarily have the like rail capacity to move stuff off of the ships. And so things are being done by truck, but there's not enough truckers, et cetera. So what, what's causing the, the delay in getting stuff in and out? Yeah, I mean, the global transportation system is, is really an integrated network. So what, what happens in one place affects another and on down the line. And in fact, uh, if, it, if it's a problem in one, play, in one place, it can be uh, exacerbated and made worse in others. It's kind of like, you know, the butterfly flaps his wings there and then a world away, it becomes this big issue. But um, Long Beach, for example, you mentioned in L.A., uh, that's the biggest port in the United States at the highest cargo volume. And they are feeling the, the worst effects of this congestion and this you know surge of cargo that's coming from Asia with all these home goods and other items that are selling well right now. So I think last week there were like over 30 vessels still uh, anchored uh, off the port of L.A. Long Beach. And, um, and you know, the, the, the rail networks that serve at that, car, that port and bring the cargo inland throughout the nation and distribute, they're also overtaxed right now. And, uh, and, and even the East Coast ports are, are setting, you know, record, record-breaking volumes each month. Um, so it's you know, I'm mostly talking about ocean freight right now in the international sector, but this also applies to the um, the domestic uh, transportation market and uh, less than truckload and, and those type things, too. Those, those carriers are also oversubscribed right now. So, Is it the volume coming from Asia that's causing the backup? Because we're shipping containers from Europe, and um, we've had to move some of our shipments that were going into L.A., and we actually pushed them down to Houston, and then we trucked it up to L.A. Yes. And it, that's become almost our standard now, that we're going into Houston, and we know it's finishing in L.A. And when you talk about, so that's going to tie up some trucking, is that some of the backlash that interferes with, you know, the domestic trucking? Because it, it freight in itself 
is is killing us right now to get product. Exactly. And those those freight rate increases are across the board, not just on the ocean, but if you were to ship air freight, if you shipped uh, ground transportation, all of it is up. Uh, you make a good point. The, the recovery has been uh, in different stages a- around the world. So Asia, we felt first uh, with a big surge of cargo in Q3 and Q4 and even continuing now. Europe, though, in the last month or two has really uh, started to come on strong. And those same earlier problems that we experienced in Asia are now happening on the European trade lanes. And uh, so many shippers are doing what you're mentioning, you know, to, to avoid, for example, L.A. Long Beach uh, at all costs and find alternative routings, alternative ports of entry. I mean, that that just adds cost, right, to truck it all the way from Houston up to L.A. Long Beach. But, you know, shippers have to make the decision, you know, if, if my cargo is sitting for three weeks before it can get in and get worked at the port there. You know, what does that uh, cost? It, yeah, exactly. I've lost sales and other opportunity costs. So, um, yeah, d- difficult situation for sure, Chris. We're doing our best to overcome it. Right now, everybody's playing well in the sandbox, but I have to believe that eventually, you know, patience is going to run short. The math is going to continue to trickle and eventually it's going to affect the end user sale because you just can't, everybody just can't keep saying raise the price, raise the price. Cause you know, like you said earlier, we've got to get to some normalcy. So, you know, people want reliable product. Exactly. And it's a great point you make about. At what point is is the breaking point for for shipping? You know, there's there's plenty of import businesses where where the cost of goods and containers is 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 actually relatively low. So you know, when when shipping goes from being you know maybe five ten percent of of the cost of goods inside the container to then forty or fifty percent of the uh, cost of goods inside the container, do you even have the margin to sustain? that program that will it impact you know even sourcing methods you know maybe you start to reconsider making more goods elsewhere even back domestically again so i heard that when everything shut down that you know nothing was moving and there were so many containers just not moving in in asia china wherever that there was at one point starting to become uh, a shortage of containers did you hear anything about that in the shipping business, we really need a balance. Equipment positioning is is really important, and asset utilization for the carriers. They want to keep these these containers in rotation uh, and keep the ships uh, full, both going and coming. And right. you know, when supply chain global supply chain shut down and nothing moves, then uh, that's a big problem. So you know, a, a lot of the containers got were originally you know stuck in Asia. That that. That caused problems for U.S. exporters because uh, they don't have equipment here to load. And then and then when there's a surge of cargo after after that, where uh, all the importers then start to open up again and start bringing their product in all at once, all the containers come back this way. And and there aren't enough equipment over in Asia now to, to load for, for imports. So that that causes a, a big whiplash uh, effect that that is problematic. It's really uh, equipment is, is the problem. That's the bigger issue. Uh, and, and having the right equipment in the right place at the right time. So I get it. So yeah. the cycle of life of a container gets affected, and eventually, the, the you know, it's just a contributing factor to all these woes that everyone's experiencing. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I feel for the like the ex- U.S. exporters, uh, particularly agricultural uh, goods, uh, they, they can't obtain containers to load right now. Unfortunately, it's very difficult because uh, what's happening is is really on 
the, the import trade is is the head haul, so to speak. Uh, that's where the money's made uh, for the ocean carriers. It's it's roughly three times the amount for an import shipment as it is for an export shipment back to China. And so uh, because the equipment is so imbalanced, what's happening is the carriers are deciding, you know what, we're just going to ship everything back empty. And uh, and and so if you're an, a struggling you know exporter right now wanting equipment to load, it's hard to get your hands on it because the carriers would rather ship it back empty right now. Uh, in order to get, you know, to maximize revenue on the import. Plus, the, co- the equipment is just needed in Asia. There's there's not enough of it there. So, Bill, one of the things you talked about in the article that I, I thought was interesting that really would help our, our audience understand, really, I think the thing that is concerning uh, most to the people that are probably listening to this podcast are being able to control costs and make for sure that you're, you know, you're able to cover your cost and, and pass as much of it as you can along. You talk about a, a typical container of wood. Can you kind of walk through that example? Because I think that would really help us understand how it's impacting our industry. You know, there are some industries that are much more sensitive to these price increases, you know, uh, that were a container of semiconductors, for example, costing you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, then okay, you know, uh, maybe these increases are, are digestible. But for uh, a flooring container, as you mentioned, Michael, uh, you know, maybe averaging 45000 or, or there's plenty of other sectors that are even cheaper than that. You know, when you're starting to talk about increases to the magnitude of 100%, 200%, even 300% in shipping, that's um, that's a tough pill to swallow. And, and so uh, shippers are having to, to find alternatives, delay their orders, and really change, you know, change their strategy on shipping. It it used to be where you could kind of set it and forget it. You know, uh, Ocean Freight uh, worked on an annual contract basis. And, you know, each May you signed a new contract and you got so much uh, capacity per week and everything was agreed upon and understood. But it's the the game has changed some now because, um, you know, there's fewer carriers for one and they have more more uh, control. And they're exerting that that that, that power. Um, and so, you know, really, there's 10, 10 major global carriers and uh, they work together in, in alliances. Uh, there's the, the 10 carriers are split amongst three alliances and uh, and and they um, collaborate really on how much capacity they feel uh, should be deployed. And I, I, I do want to note something right now the 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 ocean carrier community that they are fully deployed right now uh that that was not the case last year where the, a lot of the fleet was uh sitting idle in the midst of of the pandemic as it was raging last summer D- during those days it, it was an issue of there not being enough capacity on the water but now the the, the ocean carriers have fully deployed the, the fleet and and uh the issue is more about uh, equipment imbalances and having the right the, you know the, the right containers in the right places at the right time so um and, and until that can work through the system and really settle out, uh, you're going to continue to see higher freight rates. You know, it, at least I think, though, some of the premiums that are being paid now, the, the, those will settle out and it will be come down later this year to a more predictable, steady uh, shipping you know, pattern. So, Using your 25 years of experience and understanding that you don't have a crystal ball, a- any thoughts, you know, intelligent thoughts? into how long this could continue in a worst case scenario and then in a best case scenario, if that helps you on your answer? We're already starting to settle out some. I mean, there's certain origins and destinations that are better and worse than others, you know. So, uh, like, for example, shipping from China has improved uh, quite a bit in the last month, but there are certain places like Southeast Asia that that are still quite 
quite difficult and oversubscribed. Looking at at you know uh, the improvement will be on a on a lane by lane basis, but in general, I think uh, in in a couple months time uh, you're going to see freight rates really settle out. Uh, you know that they'll be at higher levels than they were last year, but at least it'll be predictable and and we expect that that uh, you know carriers will be giving the needed weekly space that shippers have contracted for and and that's that's really what uh the the shipping community is looking for here is um you know a predictable uh steady flow uh where where i know what my rate's going to be i can budget it and and um you know it's it's you know it's it's just a a very predictable situation i I think in a couple months you're going to see a much better shipping outlook than than right now so okay so that's the answer when we talk economically, but what about when we talk about the economics of time it is, you know, I, I'm used to shipping out of Belgium and having, you know, five weeks on the water and my, 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 my inventory comes in. Are, are we going to see, do you, do you have any feeling for if we're going to see delays in the timing elements? Well, yes. Uh, the the transportation infrastructure is is a bigger issue at hand. Um, I you know I think there's still many sectors of the economy that that have yet to uh, to to, uh, to really return and and to um, you know uh, pick up. And and when that happens, demand will will remain strong. So uh, this this environment of of the ships being full and 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 really uh, having you know, a cargo surge at various ports around the U.S. and and throughout the transportation network. That's that's something we're we're going to have to live with. Uh, I think from the economic standpoint and the rates themselves, things will settle out as we discussed. But uh, it's still going to be uh, a challenge. A mess. Um, yeah, because uh, you know uh, the, the the ships will should remain full as as more as more economic sectors thaw out, the more benefit more benefit our businesses start to benefit from the recovery and. Um, and so, you know, that's when, uh, you know, good freight forwarding and good good logistics partners are needed to keep your cargo moving because, um, you know, there's only so much truck capacity and, and so much, uh, you know, uh, that, that can be done at the ports when they're just slammed with cargo. So, yep. Bill, are there areas um, of the economy that you that you think or have heard that are going to be impacted? You know, I was just thinking, you know, um, just as just as people have stayed in place and improved their homes. And done all of those things. Um, there's also a lot of home building going on. Um, the inventories are low to buy homes in the states, and and so you see a lot of building activity. Builders are having a great year. Um, but I was just I was just thinking, you know, with all of the pieces of a home, for example, that get imported, if that slows down the progress or raises the prices on what the overall home is going to cost, do you think the freight issue has the ability to slow down the housing market? I guess is my question. Home goods do constitute a, a, a major component of imported merchandise. You know, uh, I, I know furniture, for example. I, I'm in North Carolina, and it's, it's a big furniture sector here. But that's still the, the number one, you know, imported uh, product by 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 volume, by you know, TEU or the number of containers that are utilized. And and that the home sector in general uh, just uses a lot of containers. But there are plenty of businesses that have been sitting on the sidelines. Apparel is one of them, and they also use a lot of uh, ocean capacity. And I think as folks, you know, start traveling more and, and returning to normal, going out to eat, you know, uh, I mean, who's really upgraded their wardrobe in, in the last year? You know, so I think uh, that, that's going to that's going to keep things strong, uh, even 
you know, even if other sectors start to cool off some, you know, uh, that have benefited in the last year, I think there's others still that are heating up that will keep the shipping sector, uh, you know, really hitting on all cylinders. Well, my wife will tell you I haven't upgraded my wardrobe in more than a decade. <laughs> and now we've been it's sitting time. at home for a year, in- increasing our size. So some of us have to buy hey. some bigger clothes post-pandemic. Listen, a pair of jeans and a CNR flooring pullover. That's my wardrobe. That, you know, I'm I'm always lettered up and being the professional. I thought you always wore your Real Answers podcast T-shirt everywhere. I do now, and I expect Bill to be wearing one in a couple more days when his shows up. It depends how it got shipped as far as how long it's going to take to get there, right? Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, I can tell you that Matt from last week, his T-shirt cost 100 bucks to send it to Canada. So I was (laughs) at least happy that you're local. (laughs) So where are we going from here, Michael? Uh, You know, I, I, I am happy with some of the information I'm hearing because I, I just don't want to hear, you know, negative, negative, negative doesn't help anyone's business. And so if if we're just out there with bad news, it doesn't get better. And at the same time, we can't lie and just say, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. So I, I hear a little bit of good news on the horizon that this will cycle itself out. It's not an ongoing problem that doesn't have a solution. Am I correct? I I totally agree with that uh you know if we can just remove some of the variability and the and and the spikes that are happening um you know and get to a more predictable nature which i i do think we are in the coming months uh that will that will help immensely um the shipping sector and and global supply chains in general you know for shippers that might have been used to paying twenty six hundred dollars a container to have them you know uh you know, eight months later, be paying almost four times that. That's uh, that's really uh, a tough pill to swallow. But we we see things settling out. I do think that the, the base rates will be higher, but they'll be steady, and space will be much more predictable and easier to come by in the coming months. So, well, and I think the good news like here, Chris, you know, looking at the glass half full, is the fact that there's you know huge demand for products coming in. So. Um, you know, the economy is doing well, things are, things are in demand. It would be a lot worse if we weren't, uh, selling product and looking for more to come in. I agree. I agree. I I feel like in, in my world, the demand stays strong for, you know, one of the first times in a long time, I'm having trouble keeping up with all the necessary quotes. You know, I mean, it's easy for us to get to Mrs. Jones's house and, you know, measure the first floor living room, dining room, kitchen, and give you a quote. But I'm still a little backlogged with the amount of blueprints coming in on whole houses with hardwood everywhere. So I'm happy to see that demand stay strong, and I really hope it continues. All right. Well, I think that's good for today, guys. I appreciate both of you being here with us. And we have an an article uh, from Bill online at Hardwood Floors Magazine. So go to hardwoodfloorsmag.com and look at the blog there for uh, further information and a really good article that explains the, the cost structures here that we're experiencing. So, Bill, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Chris. And we appreciate the opportunity with the NWFA. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great, great information today. And I hope uh, everybody out there listening got the same benefit out of it that I did. And uh, for now, guys, uh, happy weekend. It's a Friday for me today. So you're probably listening to this in the middle of the week. So I hope your week's going well. And keep it real out there, guys. Thanks for listening.